0: Hi everyone, hope you're enjoying your lunch. I'm Diana Pizzoni with Ted Moudis Associates, Chair of Programs, and along with my co-chairs, welcome you here again, thank you for being here. Uh, Real quick, um, we forgot to give a good thank you out to everyone, if you notice the table over there with the backpacks, it's not for you to take, all of you dropped them off. Want to give a special thanks to Perkins and Will who had a large uh, school supply drive among their staff members and was able to Fill up that table pretty well as well. So uh, thank you all. All the donations are going to the Sue Duncan Children's Center, and we've done this for the past, I want to say, maybe four or five plus years, and I know they really appreciate it. So thank you for contributing. (laughs) So now, being September, we're going to talk about disasters in real estate. We picked September for this because of some obvious reasons. It's memory of 9-11, it is um, hurricane season, and even though in Chicago our floods or leaks happen to happen in uh, April back in 1992, there's always a little memory of disasters that happen uh, at this time of the year. So I'd like to introduce our panelists as well as our moderator. I'm going to start with um, Joanne Ugolini, and she is the Senior Director of Threatened Violence and Risk Management with Hillard Heights. So come on up. And everyone will give a little bit more detail on who they are when they're up here. Next, we have Tim Noel, Director of Security with Capital One. We have Stephen Fink, Practice Leader with ESD. And then our moderator for the day is Steve Monaco with Monaco & Company. So let's give a big round of applause to everyone.
1: Great. Thank you, Diana. So let's start with, with a little bit more uh, on the introduction side to learn about uh, our panelists. So, Steve, we'll start with you. Tell
2: me about yourself, what you do, and maybe a typical week or sure. day. I, I, I'm Steve Fink. I'm with ESD. I am a practice leader within financial services. I'm a recent joined at ESD. Uh, prior to ESD, I was at Citadel for about six years. Um, but talking about ESD right now, uh, I am focused on developing out some of our financial services uh, business, as well as developing some new offerings we can offer uh, I, I, on the front and uh, trailing end of some of our consulting services. Um, at, uh, going back to Citadel, I was uh global head of critical facilities, responsible for about a million seven square feet of uh, uh, office and trading floor space, and about 100,000 square feet of data center space. Great, thank you, Tim.
3: Yeah, thank you, uh, Tim. Now I'm a director of uh, security at Capital One. Uh, my my purview is pretty much everything physical security for everything North America outside of the state of Virginia. And I've been with Capital One for about eight years, doing some form or fashion of that. But uh, like I say, now I've pretty much got all of. Uh, U.S. and North America, all, all things physical security. Great, thank you.
1: And Joanne?
4: Hi, I'm Joanne Ugolini. I'm a senior director at Hillard Heinz, a local um, security risk management consulting firm. And I'm, uh, my responsibility is in our threat and violence risk management area. Um, and we do we work with organizations to set up workplace violence prevention programs and we do open source intelligence and prior to uh, being with Hillard Hines, I was at Abbott Labs, where I was in charge of doing workplace violence prevention, behavioral threat assessment, executive protection, and uh, open source intelligence.
1: Great, thank you. So I think this is a great topic, very relevant for everyone in this room, whether you're directly related to this um, for your company um, or not, It, it does affect all of us. Um, when we think about disaster uh, different types of disaster planning you have the natural um, weather floods um, there's a the human factor that we'll we'll touch on today there's um, accidental there's fire um, even mechanical systems can can trigger a, a disaster effort so uh, we'll be touching through those store, uh, those topics um, sharing some stories and, and asking for uh, participation from everyone in this room to um, to respond and kind of share some of your your experiences as well. My first experience with um, disaster recovery is when I was at Heinz here in Chicago. And um, by raise of hands, everyone remember Y2K, that huge disaster. <laughs> huge. We recovered. It took us a long time, but. I was stationed on Navy Pier on a frigid uh, December day, so that was my exposure to to uh, to risk and, uh, and risk planning. Um, but most recent, uh, you know, in the news, we we, we all recognize what happened uh, 18 years ago. And uh, my first question for the panelists is, it, how did your um, how did your life change professionally? Uh, whether directly in the security function or not um, after 9-11 what what what, so for example if you happen to be working at the Sears Tower right literally that next day a lot of discussions were occurring and today we are now um, you know how we enter buildings is is different as a result of that so um, share any uh, stories Tim start with you sure yeah, yeah,
3: I think that uh, 9-11 was one of those that uh, I think it just kind of reaffirmed for me that, uh, you know, there's always going to be that evolving threat. And I'd probably take it a little bit further back than that, and, you know, from a security pra- practitioner standpoint. Uh, you know, I-, I constantly tell the people that, uh, you know, work for me or- and that are mitigating the risk out there in the field that, uh you know, you, you went down the list of, you know, the hurricanes, the floods, the tornadoes, the, you know, this, that's, and the others. I've, I've really just kind of, with them, I just kind of encapsulated it as the thing. And it, it, and that's really what it is. It's like, I can't even tell you what the next thing's going to be. But, you know, just kind of walking back from 9-11, it was, and, and being in, from Texas, I'm, my actual office is in Texas, but, uh, uh, you know, in, in 2003, we had uh you know the uh, the space shuttle disaster so uh it, it's making reentry and then next thing you know there's a whole you know debris path from texas all the way across louisiana and parts of uh uh you know arkansas right. so i mean you've literally got three states covered with debris that uh you know it it's, it's toxic it's classified it's uh, you know who knows what uh you know it's a space shuttle you, know, you really know who knows what's right. on there and uh so, I mean, it, you know, like I say, starting in 2003, it's like the, you know, the things are just coming at a regular pace of I can't tell you what the next one's going to be. We just have to be getting prepared to deal with the next thing. And I think it's just kind of the, that immediacy and then how we recover from it and just kind of work it back from there.
1: All right. Sounds like a new mindset was, was created. If, we're not, if you're not directly in the business, right, we are all now uh, um, have to react to be prepared. Joanne, uh, what about you?
4: I think for me... Um, Prior to 9/11, security was was looked at in a different way. So, it was, you know, guards and gates, and 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 it was uh, a draw on the bottom line, as opposed to something that that people thought took seriously and wanted to put money towards. Um, after that, um, it, it was taken more seriously. There was more money available to improve programs, and. Um, uh, People were, were thinking about it and talking about it at, at the higher levels, um, as opposed to it just being something that drew on the bottom line. Right. I agree.
2: Steve? Yeah, I think building on what Joanne said about the draw on the bottom line to a change in mindset, uh, I, I think it has now forced the discussion around business continuity planning developing hour one strategies uh, or, or, and then migrating that to be, uh, you know, what is the next day or longer-term strategy, but then also what is the plan that goes with it, what's the governance model that goes into that uh, business continuity strategy, who are the decision-makers, who gets to invoke that strategy. Uh, it's a whole different set of thinking uh, topics, people at the table, than it might have been prior to 9-11. All right.
1: Um one would argue that that's happening again today, um, with with the recent um, attention of active shoot, shooters and active shooter training. I can recall maybe even five years ago that topic if it was brought up at the at the EC level. There'd be difference of opinion that yes, we need to do this, or no, don't be an alarmist. We, we you know we can do fire training, but not active shooter. Um, is, so I'd like to hear a little bit more about that. Is that still the case? Is it? Are, have, we, have we hit the acceptance curve, or there's still some, some hesitation about active shooter training? Um, start with Joanne. <laughs>
4: <laughs> so you're talking to a person whose livelihood is in prevention. So when people call and say, hey, we want active shooter training because I, you know, our CEO saw you know, whatever the news story was and wants to know what are we doing about this stuff. And I said, well, what are you doing to prevent it? And so I'm on the prevention side. Um, and that's where I start the conversation. But um, I think that that people are now realizing, because it, most people think that it's not gonna happen here. But as you see, it happens everywhere. It's not just one kind of, it's not high profile. It can happen in a small business. It can happen in, you can, you can be in the small business next to the big business and be impacted. Um, and so people, Employees care about it. And so we're seeing more employees asking about it. They want to know what are we doing? What are we going to do about it? And that's also garnering more attention. What I do see is is many organizations that are fortunate enough to have sort of an HR structure because a lot of small businesses don't um, there's a reluctance to talk about these issues to bring them forward, to train people, Um, and I don't know if it's the old school thinking of if I talk about it, it's going to cause it to happen, um, or we're going to scare people. But, um, you know, we train in every school. Our, our, you know, first graders are getting trained, but our adults aren't mature enough to talk about it.
1: Yeah.
3: Agreed, Tim? Uh, Yeah, I agree with Joanne. The You know, I think at Capital One, you know, we're really probably out front on some of these things from the standpoint of yes we are doing the active shooter trainings, we're doing, you know, drills within the facilities. We're sending trainers out to train the you know, train our associates from the standpoint of, you know, here, here's what it looks like, here's what you should do. And, you know, but I mean again, that's kind of a whole evolution of, you know, it's, it's, it starts off as, you know, it started off as run, fight, height, our run, hide and fight. Uh, And then even that just kind of continues to evolve. So it's not like one message that goes out. It's kind of an Mm -hmm. evolutionary thing. But uh, yeah, I mean, for us, it's, it's, you know, you run the numbers on it and it's more common, but the probability is still very low. But I mean, I would just say from the standpoint of, you know, if we were to have active shooting training in this, uh, you know, in in this room, yeah what are the what are the chances we 're going to have an active shooter in this room? The probabilities are very low, but uh, you know when you guys go out to your other venues that you go to, whether you go to a different restaurant, whether you go to a sports arena whatever the case may be yeah we 're taking it a bit further to give you the tools where you can take it from this room, not necessarily centric to this room, preparing yourself for an active shooter, but you can take it back to your family or you can use it in those scenarios and protect yourself because really that 's you know you're the one that's going to have to take care of that right. when this thing goes down there's not going to be somebody there immediately to you know offset the risk you 're going to need to know how to what to do and how to react so it uh, you know, and like I say from the standpoint of that, I think there are still some companies that are reluctant to as Joanne said if if we don 't say it it won't happen but right. uh, uh, i mean I, but but i'm glad we're getting the message yeah. out there and yeah. getting, getting more that training. And more of it yeah
1: so so by a raise of we'll do our own poll by a raise of hand hands um, who Um, Who's been a part of a company sponsored uh, active training, uh, active shooter training? So I'd say that's maybe six and a half, seven percent. I don't know. Um, (laughs) Quick. Yeah, I'm like. I'm really quick. You you dropped some toothpicks, I'll tell you. Um, Who would want to have. That conversation um, who would who would be willing to be that person to bring it up to your your leadership say you know we should we should consider this right fair number so I guess the the next question for the panelists is how do you how do you start that conversation with your with some of the company to say you know this is what's happening I just went to a luncheon you know what's that first step anyone wants to take that one
3: I'll take that yeah uh, yeah yeah for me it uh it happens almost weekly with one of our business leaders you know with one one of these events go down it, the conversation starts all over again what are we doing mm-hmm. and uh you know i'm not not advocating that we uh capitalize on those uh, you know those times but i think like i said it's a, uh you know it, it's relevant and i think it's it's on it's on everybody's mind it's just a matter of you know getting getting in there when uh, you know Fresh on the heels of some of these things, and saying, you know, what are we doing to, you know, prevent this? Okay.
4: So, and and again, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back to the the question people ask: What are we doing, you know, about this? And generally, that means, you know, are we doing active shooter training? But the question I would ask is: What are we doing, not just to respond to one of these, to prevent them? Because, I mean, I've worked with organizations that have had. These events, and you don't ever want one of those in your organization. So, anything you can do to prevent it and, and mitigate issues, address issues, is, is going to go a lot further than, um, you know, let's just have active shooter and tell people what to do if a shooter comes in because it, never again will your workplace be the same.
2: Agreed. Steve, anything
4: else? Yeah, I'm,
2: uh, you know, as I talk to people, uh, and, and I mean, security is not my primary discipline, but you know, a lot of employees want to talk about it, but I'm seeing the reluctance at the leadership level to really have a serious discussion about it. Yet, our kids all go to school and get training in this. Right. So they're getting the training as parents and employees we're talking about it amongst ourselves, but there's this reluctance at the leadership level to do something serious about it. Yeah. Right.
3: Yeah, uh, you know, and jo- jo- Joanne was talking about, you know, we need to be, you know, we need programs in place to recognize the signs, and, and that's one of the things that Hillary Hines does a great job of, you know, helping companies set up and get in front of and, and help people uh, recognize the signs hmm. and help companies start understanding that there there are risk there and, and understand when to report. I don't know how many times a week that... Uh, I'll get something that uh, that comes into my office comes across my desk and i'm uh and I look at it and i'm and I'm looking at it and say did this thing just start you know yesterday mm. you know based you know on this report and then when you start start just kind of unpacking this it it's been kind of escalating over time, so I think it's getting back and you know getting everybody educated to the standpoint of we need to have a holistic program here kind of sure. uh to 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 mitigate some of these things, it's really important.
1: Okay. I recently heard a story about um, a company doing active shooter training that didn't really go as planned. So I'm going to uh, ask for a microphone to uh, to Rich Wagner. Rich, if you've got some time, I know you're serving right now, <laughs> but uh, it was a, you know I think a powerful story of 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 how of how this conversation occurs and and the repercussions if it's not. Uh, it's not properly orchestrated so yeah
5: please. Sure, Steve. Um, so my company does um, offer active shooter training to its business units um, and it's uh, instructor led with a video that supports it and one of the business units in our building um, oh one day a couple of months ago was providing that training and there was another person on the floor from another business unit that wasn't didn't know about the training was not aware that it was a training exercise and thought that it was, in fact, a live active shooter situation. And they placed a phone call to Chicago Police Department. Hmm. And the Chicago Police Department responded very quickly, immediately. They blocked off Randolph Street. They came charging into the building. And they knew exactly where the call was placed from. Uh, It was the seventh floor. They knew who, who placed the call. And they went there and then discovered that it wasn't uh, a real event. But then, to their credit, they chose to use it as a training exercise for uh, all of the people in the building. And I was actually on the phone with Lauren. (laughs) And um, five Chicago Police Department officers in full tactical gear knocked on my door and said, are you the director? (laughs) And um, they asked me to account for everybody that was on the floor. Which I was able to do, and they asked us to kind of search areas, just walk around the floor, which we did, and then they spent a few minutes talking with a group of us about um, you know active shooter response and that type of thing. So there was a lot of fallout from that event, as you might mm-hmm. expect, um, and and so part of that was that we have subtenants in the building, which caused a little heartburn with them, and so we had to address that issue, but more importantly. Uh, Our company chose to use it as a learning event as well to kind of, you know uh, reinforce Kind of the whole active shooter training and how people should respond to that and that type of thing. So That's what happened.
1: Yeah, that's great. Thank you Um, So just to show that this right we are making progress, but are are we trained in how to how to um, implement? uh, these sessions Um, for example I would, I would probably it's safe to say that when, for fire drills, um, we have that pretty pretty much down pat for the most part. You give notice to everybody that we're going to you know be doing the training, so you don't run and think there is a fire, right, for, for etc. Um, let's talk about let's talk about fire um, uh, training and prevention and programs. Um, how um, you, what are some key some some key elements? Uh, Regarding that, uh, start with Tim. Uh,
3: well, I think you know. Obviously, it's something that uh, it's a requirement, yeah. but I think it's something that each company needs to you know engage from a standpoint of it's it's not just a requirement; it's a, it's a necessity. It's mm-hmm. it's it's practical from the standpoint of getting folks uh, accustomed to what to do when that when it happens. But I, I think. A lot of companies take you know from the standpoint of when you said scheduling the drill and letting folks know that the drill is going to happen pretty much what happens at that point folks just uh, you know that they find something else to do be somewhere else to you know because they're Mm. too important to be interrupted with this thing Uh, so you know we've taken a position for having more of surprise drills so there is no notification I mean, obviously, if we're working with a building, uh, you know, we're working with the landlords to, you know, to time those things. But at the same time, with with all of our drills now, we've got to the to the point where you don't really get excused from the standpoint of, you know, you had more important things to do from uh, from the high level and the company pushed down. It's uh, you know, it's going to be an actual an actual physical drill where you know it's a surprise and you're going to go through the exercise. And sure. so, I think that that's one of the things that I'd you know had seen over time with several companies that. Uh, you know, there, there's folks that can't be bothered with these things, and they're probably your most important people in the whole company, and mm. they're going to be the ones left in the building to catch on fire. Is that really what we want to do? And so, you know, getting like getting that done and making sure that everybody's engaged in the process, understands what to do, I think is key.
1: Yeah. What about from um, depending what your security system is? Everyone badges in, but to say they don't they don't badge out, and so um, Rich, you were asked to uh, walk the floor to see if everyone's accounted for, but people are working from home, they're on vacation. How do you, um, how do you bridge that gap of accounting for people if you really don't have a, um, a buttoned-up check-in, check-out? Uh, Joanne, let's start with you.
4: So, so if, just from my perspective, I like an all-hazards approach. So, you know, even a lot of the shooting in the shooting incidents, people tend to pull the fire alarm. And and so I think that that if you follow the fire alarm sort of protocol and you, you know, oh, we need to evacuate, and then you put a bunch of people in a in a hallway, especially in a school setting, it, it creates more uh targets, if you will. And so I think that that you know, taking an all hazards approach to just you know, any emergency, thinking for yourself, understanding awareness, which is really important. What's really going on? Do I smell smoke? Is there, you know, other things going on? But um, but as far as notification, I'm not a supporter of having muster points or having people go to a certain place. There's so much more technology now. Um, people, if, if you look at incidents, people tend to text a lot. Um, and... And I think that even if you're not, you're not a large corporation with Everbridge, you know, system where you're, you know, you're hitting everybody, um, people, you have text groups, you know, for your, you know, instead of that list that people have of people, you know, you, you just send out a text, is everybody okay? And whether I'm working from home or I went to the grocery store, I was out to lunch, I just say, yeah, I'm fine, you know, and, and, and it's, a, it's a little bit tighter system than trying to figure out if people are at a muster point.
2: Great, great points. Yeah, I agree with what mm-hmm. Joanne said. I mean there's technologies like send word now, uh, grid, uh, etc that you know are smartphone enabled. you can yeah, the text thing works real well. press one if you're okay. The muster point thing doesn't work, but you know half the place goes to the bar or something like that or just goes home mm-hmm. instead. Uh, you know and then you got the other thought about muster points. Is that another additional security risk in the case of an active shooter? So yeah, yeah. good point.
4: Well, and, and, and the other the other point that we've learned from some some incidents is is um you also have to think outside the box and practice whatever it is because you know there are some people maybe you know in different industries that aren't allowed to carry or have their cell phones with them or they don't have a a, a you know a desk phone or a computer so how are you going to reach them and and, you know, does it work in the basement? Does it work if I'm standing at the smoke area? You know, you really have to practice things and, and get some feedback to understand are you reaching everybody? And a lot of times, even these systems, if I'm an employee, I'm signed up. But what if I'm a contractor in the building or a vendor or a visitor or somebody who, who is on assignment to that building? You know, are you catching a lot of people?
3: Yeah that uh uh having that system especially in what today's mobile workforce is imperative from that you know being able to reach out and 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 make sure your your folks are okay i mean they may be working from home that day everybody in the office may not be, know that they're they're out but i think from the standpoint of like uh you know, when when the Las Vegas shooting happened, you know, we used some of our internal tools to, even though the event happened downtown and the the facility was outside of town, it was more after hours and there was a possibility that some of our folks could have been, you know, either at the venue. And uh, so, you know, we sent out the message and we were able to account for a very high percentage, higher higher than what I first thought, you know, just in those first hours. you know just making sure that they're okay see if you need anything or if you were impacted by the event and make sure that we've got you some resources there to kind of take care of you and you know uh, get get, uh, get your life back to you know a good place uh, sure. so uh, yeah having those tools available even if like I say the thing doesn't happen on your on your venue but you you know it happens that could impact your employees you've still got the ability to reach out to them and you know say are you okay you know press one and let us know, and, and like I say, pretty pretty high response, and it took, you know, really before you got to the 100%. There was, you know, probably 24 hours, but uh, okay. it was a, it was a very small number that kept just kind of you know coming down over time, but uh, very very useful and just right. standpoint of it, continuity.
1: You know, it's interesting that an event could happen at one of the sites many companies in this room have many offices, so if something happens in New York, there's repercussions for the other offices, especially if they have if they're a critical facility, right? if that's where certain information is held. Um, how has has your group planned for the redundancy of critical operations uh, as it relates to business continuity? Is that a factor? And, and maybe it's different for smaller companies, but definitely. Uh,
3: I think it's, I think you're right. I mean, just depending on the size of the company, how much redundancy you can build in with other other sites, and what that what that downtime looks like from the standpoint of, you know, how long can that function be down for until we can get it picked up somewhere else? And you know, for us, we've got most everything with redundant function functionality,
1: okay.
3: and and those criticality times on when the notifications have to be made to start standing the other thing up, and uh, and we've got a pretty uh, you know, pretty high ability to have like a mobile workforce. So, it you know, a lot of the things we do is office office centric. But at the same time, you know, some of the things that, you know you can work from home, for instance. So, right. uh, yeah, if if you have a company of the size and scale that's uh, it's possible, it's critical. But you know, if you've got to, if you got one office, then it's probably not as critical. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I I think it actually depends on the business unit uh, that you're talking about. And even within business units, you may have certain people that have much more of a critical function, and uh, there may be one strategy for that, and other people within the business unit have a different strategy. Other, you know, maybe just work from home. Uh, You may have a, you know, hour zero recovery facility, you know, and number of blocks away. You may have a site that's 25, you know, miles away. Um, or it may just be, be a work from home, or a transfer of work from location A to location B. Uh, a lot of different strategies that generally you know, uh, overlay each other.
1: So, so Steve, at your last role at uh, um, Citadel, said uh, you, you, you ran uh, critical facilities data centers. What's unique about that versus the rest of the office environment, and what can we extract from you know, your unique viewpoint, your lens?
2: as it relates to the general workplace? Yeah, data centers, it was generally a failover of you know, technology from one site to another. We had a data center, a large, large facility in the Chicago area, a large facility in the uh, New Jersey suburbs, and uh, you know, certain workloads failed over from one place to the other. Uh, from a people perspective, you had trading business units that would fail over New York to Chicago, Chicago to New York. Uh, New York to London uh, and and that that kind of approach was taken. We also had physical facilities where certain other functions failed over physically from site A to site B and you had to move people from site A to site B. Um, Or you had just a work from home strategy for certain analyst uh, type of roles. Um, So there's a lot of different strategies uh, that that, uh, went into play. I think where we Uh, or where Citadel had some work to do was around who declares uh, that failover occurring uh, and what the uh, framework is that sets up that declaration. Uh, I I don't think there's anything real consistent about that. I think that's something that we can take broader that uh, uh, here in this room is, you know, are, are we thinking about what is the you know, framework to fail over from one site to another. Who are the groups of people that decide that that framework gets invoked, uh, and you know what is the time response to make that happen? Right, right.
4: Well, if, if I can add to is is there's a lot of thought going into these continuity plans of especially like okay, what are we going to do with our data systems, and you know, and it, okay, we can do we can work from home, and and I think sometimes it gets overlooked that. Some people aren't going to want to work. Some people just aren't going to work. They're, they're either victims, they're impacted, they're, you know, busy, you know, doing, you know, they're, they're scared, traumatized, whatever it is. And if you have, like, a critical function, say, I don't know, like, customer service phone answering or, or something, and those people don't show up to work, I don't care what your, your plan was, you don't have people that are gonna be willing to work, What is your now what are you gonna do? Because the people part of a lot of the plans doesn't get well thought out, because they're just like, oh yeah, well, we'll just have people work from home. Well, what do, I'm busy, I, I gotta go to the hospital, or I'm in the, you know, um, and so to, to include, like what if we can't get our people to come to work, or to work from home, what are we gonna do? Adding on to that,
2: I think also you got to think about people's families. If you're going to be doing a geographic relocation of people, uh, and I went through this with a hurricane in, uh, with Sandy in New York, and I forget the name of the one in Houston. If you're going to be relocating people geographically, you got to think about what are, they, are you doing something with their families also? Because the participation rate you're going to get out of your employees if you relocate families is very different than if you do not.
3: No, that's absolutely correct. it's if if you're not making the contingencies for their loved ones and the impact for possibly their structures, their food, whatever the case may be, I can just tell you for us i mean when when sandy hit in new york it uh, i mean we even brought uh, fuel in because there was absolutely no fuel uh, you know available so but they somehow have to get back and forth to the you know the work location so. Uh, you know, even even kind of thinking it down to that level is uh, is critical. Can you be
1: can you be over prepared? Not a trick no. question. I mean, <laughs> I yeah, imagine, for us, it's. I, it I imagine happen. larger companies have a bigger playbook. Uh, maybe the smaller companies in this room do not have a playbook. And so, how much is enough uh, to to address um, the, the different? Uh, The different risks. I
4: I think I think you can be prepared in the wrong things like if you don't if you don't literally have a tabletop and and get outside your little group think bring in law enforcement bring in you know the emergency services and do some tabletops and understand like what things you should be paying attention to. You may be paying attention to, or or have a plan that they're gonna sh- they're gonna say no way, we're gonna shut down that road. If that happens, we're gonna shut down that road. You're not gonna get your bus through here. Um, you know what's your what's your other plan? And so, I think you can be prepared. You know maybe, not over prepared, but prepared in the wrong ways. And you need to include people. You need to include other tenants. You need to not make your plans in a, you know, in a vacuum. Okay.
1: Yeah, good point.
3: I I think going back to the, you know, the at and active shooter exercise that, uh, it is just kind of walking that back a little bit further that if we don't offer this to some of these folks, they're going to go out and do it on their own. So, you know, kind of in that little small bubble. So, uh, personally when when we're doing it we do just that we bring in we bring in law enforcement we bring in the fire department we bring in the EMS we bring in everybody as part of that whole drill thing so if if somebody were to get the call that you know hey there's there's shooting going on here uh everybody back there taking the call they already know that uh, that the training's going on and we can kind of you know work that thing out for we're not shutting down half of downtown right right so uh, i think just kind of uh, you know if if we're doing these things in the right way we're 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 covering a lot of the all hazards and it the training it may just or the training and the preparation maybe just be for that one specific thing but it's got applicabilities outside of that building those playbooks out on you know which part of the contingencies have you know the abilities to cross-function there uh makes sense but uh like i said a lot of these things kind of dovetail together
1: sure sure um i don't know who has the microphone i'd like to (laughs) you know, uh, go to the audience and who has some questions, let's, because um, there's, there's a myriad of topics that we can, we can go in, but we want to make sure we hear from who's here today. What's important to you? We have the experts that are here.
0: Thanks so much for being here today. Um, I have a quick question. A lot of us deal with physical space, um, and obviously there are people within corporations that have the, the planning side and put together the policies and procedures. In physical space, small to big companies have to put in place measures for security, um, obviously for other disasters that might happen. What would you recommend to you know our clients or people in this room, in the physical space, that they could be doing to try to prevent or um, mitigate some of these horrible things from happening in their space? And it could be for small to large companies, obviously... People don't always have huge budgets to put in place a lot of things, so just wanted to hear your thoughts on what that might look like.
3: Okay, I'm happy to take that one. Uh, so I think, you know, one of, one of the things that you guys probably, uh, you know, advocate for and one of the big things in the industry is that open seating concept where you kind of have those vast areas of people that are, um, you know,
2: Thank you.
3: yeah, just kind of, it's all open. So. Uh, I think the other side of it, the concept itself is fine. The contingency probably, you know, if when I'm talking to our, our folks in the real estate department is that, you know, we need to make sure that we're building those spaces that are amenable to uh, getting getting folks to a safe place, whether it's for the for tornado, making sure that we've got adequate spaces for that, and then at the same time have some of those cross-functional areas where it's a hardened room as well. So, you know, it may just be regular glass, but we can, you know, we can do some... Uh, you know, additional glazing on that to, you know, make it a little bit more bolstered for, uh, you know, shooting, for instance, uh, impact resistant, things like that. Uh, but I think, you know, really for me is, you know, design whatever we're going to, however we're gonna do it, you know, whatever makes people work and happy. And then at the same time, it's those core spaces that they don't necessarily have to be as comfortable for, for that matter, and it's, it's much smaller spaces, but being able to get all of those people into a safe location is one of the things that you know just
1: it uh, you know it's it's one of the things that I'm, I'm I focus a lot on. So you're saying the open work, work plan has diminished the areas of shelter to to a large degree. Absolutely. Yeah.
3: I mean, it's just kind of taking that away from the standpoint of you know if you've come in this room and you've got uh, you know your active shooter comes in, now everybody's a target with very few places to you know get behind a wall or get into a reinforced uh, you know sort of space That's that right. you can blockade. So, I think just like I say, from my standpoint, is having a space or, you know, a couple of strategically located spaces where you can get get people into is key.
2: Okay. Great. I think to add on to that, if I can, really quick, is we're at a point now there's a myriad of ways to access... Uh, your business functions, you, you, pretty much everybody's got a laptop, you're able to VPN in from your Mac at home or you know, smartphones or whatnot, is, and, and assuming that your space is unavailable for a period of time after whatever the event is that occurs, get your IT infrastructure out of that building, go to a co-location facility or an alternate location or something so that you can continue to access your business functions from other locations. Good point,
1: good point. We had a question back here.
3: Hey, thanks. Um, I think this is probably for Joanne, but um, I sense that you really are focused on the prevention side and I'm just kind of interested with the state of the art on the human side of the prevention really looks like today?
4: Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> because not enough people do. Um, it, prevention's all about the human side. I mean, it's all about, um, and, and this is something I'm really passionate about, so forgive me. Um, I think that in the climate today, creates an environment where we're not communicating well, we're focused on um, you know, productivity, an, and the end result and, and the human side of caring about your employees, being cognizant, looking for warning signs, looking for people who are struggling because the reality is, is people don't just necessarily, in most cases, wake up and decide to go hurt people. I mean, there's, there is a documented, you know, process mm-hmm. that people go through before they decide to use violence. And in in most cases, you know, after somebody does something, everybody's like, oh yeah, we're not surprised it was him or her, you know, they were scaring people, you know, we complained about them. And so, one, making sure everybody in your organization knows what to look for. There's a process in place for reporting that and somebody taking it seriously. And, and that doesn't mean just recommending they go to EAP because that's what everybody, the only thing people think they can do is like, oh wait, we told them to go to EAP, um, that 's not the answer, so it's it 's teaching people what to look for, where to report, and then having people trained to understand what to do with that information and how to knock that person or divert that person off like a pathway to violence. Did that answer the question
3: Great. and i, I can 't reinforce enough Joanne's point that you know this isn 't the first time that uh, you know that this this behavior has been seen, and it started to escalate. Most of these, we've had opportunities to intervene and just haven't really capitalized on them as, you know, from a company perspective of, you know, enforcing that uh, reporting is okay, not just okay, it's
4: expected. And so... Well, and people well, aren't going to get in trouble. Right. Because I'm not going to report my friend because I'm worried about him, and then, you know, they might get in trouble, or, or if, I, if it's somebody in my work group that I have to work with every day that I'm afraid of, and I go tell somebody, then now that person's going to get mad at me, and now I'm causing attention to myself. Um, a lot of organizations take the, the thing, well, we'll just fire that person. And my mantra, if you don't remember anything that I said today, is getting rid of the person doesn't necessarily get rid of the problem. That's not the answer in most cases. You may have to separate that person, but, but you need to do it in a thoughtful way, uh, and and have a plan, because getting rid of the person doesn't get rid of the problem.
1: Agreed. See something, say something, right?
6: Hi. I, I haven't asked. I'm, I'm wondering, I keep you there. I think there is isn't a temperature for people to learn about uh, active shooter training or what, so I mean, prevention isn't, but when I think of a building of where I work at, like the Mart, which is a public building. You know, um, I've, been, I've been in a number of active shooter seminars. And uh, if I think about it, it's a public space. People come up on the showroom floors and come in and out and we kind of look, but we're not really looking. What is the right way? What is the right, I mean, we can go and say, hey, we should do it, but is it the building's responsibility? Is it our responsibility? Um, I think with the at and thing, the article said they didn't inform the police how big, how massive. Do you? I mean, I think there is this angst of there's a lot of work to actually get that done so people don't do it. Do you tell the neighbors? Do you don't tell the neighbors? Is it just contained to you? I mean, so I think we're missing the framework of actually how to get something like that implemented, um, especially in a building that might have 50-plus other uh, businesses in that location with public space. So uh, I think what, I think when uh, there was an active shooter and I realized there's only one way in and one way out where we are. And so it just, I'm kind of, a, I'm kind of alarmed even more now just as a reminder that it's a little <laughs> harder. Two exits, to, two. Listen, it's barricade and what are, the, what are the, yeah. So I'm just curious as to, is that information available? Who owns that? How do you, it's more than just say, hey, do you want to go and do your boss? But I think there's a lot of, there's a, a perception of a lot of work that needs to be done with that to get it actually started.
1: No, I, I think that's a good point. I um, I worked in the same building that you just referred to for a number of years, and uh, when it comes to fire prevention and training, it is um, I think well accepted that landlords take a play, uh, play a part make it a requirement, and then therefore the tenants respond right so we already have an example in front of us it 's just a matter of time who takes the lead <laughs> and I think um, either one can take the lead um, if you don 't see something at the mart um, you know we all know know how to get a hold of you know those uh who who's managing the building so i think it's it's both parties, and um, I would expect that if one one of the larger buildings takes the lead, saying here's here's what we do, maybe we we team up with BOMA, right? If we if the building owner uh, industry uh, uh, group and the tenant group, if we come together, you know, we can I think make some uh, make some headway. Best be purposeful.
3: Yeah, I would suggest that it's you know ideally it would be the landlord, you know, somewhat of a coordinated effort with the landlord. Uh, if If the landlords going to uncheck that, which I full well know that most of them won't that uh, you know whoever has a if you have a you know however many floors you have with your business you know take it upon yourself to at least get that subset trained and and you may be right they, there's one way and one way out of the building right. So uh, part of your training is probably, you know, probably should be needed to find a place to shelter in place on your spaces and not send your folks down out into that, that one way in and one way out. So I, I, I want to care for everybody, but at the same time, I just have to make sure that my folks are as well trained as possible and, and are able to respond when, when it happens. So... If if you can't get the landlord to do it, uh, certainly from a you know company perspective, I'd, I'd try to make sure that that training was instituted at least for, you know how it calculates in with what is going to trickle down and happen, but you know make sure that you get the the law enforcement notified, fire department notified, things like that, so they can practice those tabletop exercises with you, and I think once you get trained for that, and everybody else sees the other, other companies or the landlords start seeing that. Uh, you know, everybody else is starting to become sitting ducks, you guys are getting trained, it, it'll, it'll probably start to becoming more of, the, uh, more of the narrative. But mandated, it doesn't exist, so. Great, thank you. So the human side, the real estate side, the security side, uh,
1: when, you, when you're out visiting your clients or whether Capital One, What's the silo in the company that's taking the lead
3: on this risk that
1: pervades across
3: people and places and things? Is it generally a security person who's nudging the HR person, or is the HR person working with the security person? How does the federal, real estate people who are already on the environmental risk,
6: maybe?
1: Yeah, great, great question. So who owns it? So For those who can't hear in the back, so who owns this initiative, this
3: conversation: Yeah, I, I, one of the things that we're, we're doing I mean we've done like the first iteration of you know kind of strategic planning, the playbook for how this thing gets done. it, it does it involves all those people that you talked about. It, it involves lines business, it involves HR, it involves the workplace solutions, it involves security, pretty much all of it collectively coming together to form the playbook and outline the responsibilities for those. So, uh, you know, if not, I think probably at least uh, real estate and security coming together since they have the relationships with landlords working that side of it and security can work the other side. But I certainly think that if you could, if you could get some representation from everybody that uh, you're going to be a whole lot better off. But uh, uh, if nothing else, I think the real estate and the, uh, you know, security can execute. But uh, probably just not the ideal state. But. Uh, one of the things, like I say, we're putting a lot of effort into right now is kind of that cross-functionality and then that playbook to, to address just that.
1: I, I would add to that. I think um, that's a, that question relates a lot towards in the beginning who owns it or you know, if there's not clarity who owns it. I would argue that we all do, of course. Um, and a quick story, I was in a client's office in Houston, and before they started the meeting, it was a group of maybe 12 of us, um, they said, okay, in case of emergency, here's your exits, and we'll meet at this location. And we were, we were a visitor. And, um, you know, so, so this company, because of what happened, um, they made a direct change. Every, and so it spread. All employees, before they started any meeting with an outside guest, they, they shared that. And it stuck with me where, you know, that's, that's an easy way to get started, no matter who you are in this room. Um, Right. If we should say, okay, if the case of emergency, we should exit these doors and, and go on because over those doors, go out to a, a deck and you'll be trapped. Right. The kitchen, maybe a different kind of trap. So I think it's each of ours uh, responsibility to start in a small measure, and then uh, and then you know
3: let the employees take over. Yeah, I think to your point that uh, I, I mean we when we when we're having these conversations when we start the meetings. In, in our organization, we'll say, you know, we'll have, like, a safety brief of where the exits are at. Mm-hmm. And then when I come to meetings that are, like, outside of the security space or whatever the case may be, I, you know, I ask folks if uh, if they know how to get out of this room, if there's an emergency that happens. And generally the answer is, I'm going to follow you.
1: <laughs> so,
3: okay. Well, right. maybe not a really great plan, but uh, I guess it works. Right. But, uh, yeah, so a great point, though. I, I would I would thoroughly advocate for that. and. Or, making sure that it's posted well, if nothing else.
4: Well, just just from a, a violence prevention perspective, and it, it really is a best practice now to have a multidisciplinary team of people. That, and sometimes it could be difficult to get them to play nicely together. Legal, HR, security, get them, the get HR to include the security people. You know what I mean? Sometimes they don't all play nice together, but when they do, it works really well because HR is the closest to the people, and they tend to get these things early when you want to catch them. And if they bring, if, if, if they're trained and people are trained, and there's different levels of training, but a multidisciplinary team, the, the legal person might know about somebody who filed some kind of a complaint, an EEO complaint, and sometimes a grievance. Grievances are, are huge. Um, the, the Secret Service just did a, a study of mass attacks um, and i think grie- having a grievance was you know uh, the majority of the the motivation for for violent attacks, so if you catch that early but legal's not telling you know security that there's some you know an employee that filed a grievance because you know all these different issues and so having a trusted a P, a trust relationship multidisciplinary where you can get together and talk about issues is is the best practice now
2: Great. Uh, Looking at health and wellness,
3: do any of you have a plan for an epidemic?
2: Yes. Where I where I was last employed, we had uh, prior to coming to DST, we had a plan that we exercised for pandemics. Uh, yeah, and it was essentially another chapter in the business continuity playbook of, you know, having people work in alternate locations or work from home.
3: Same
1: here with our business continuity planning.
3: Pandemics are dealt with in there.
1: Is there something you're hearing about that we should know? No? Okay. <laughs> okay. No, no, good. I just, just want be first to know. <laughs> Right. <laughs> it's the next thing. <laughs> That's the next chapter. Any other? I think we have time for one more, one more uh, question. Comment. Thoughts. What do we see in 10 years? Like, where will we be? Right. So we talked about this on our, on our call. What is next? What, what is starting to show up that no one's paying attention to? Or have we, have we identified all the... All the risks. So, yeah, what's next?
3: Anyone? Uh, Crystal ball. Yeah, Uh, great question. I, uh, I I don't know. Like I said, for me, it's that evolving thing that I talked about. You know, it's just I can't tell you what the next one's going to be. But I think that uh, your plans have to be nimble enough. That they're responsive to you know those multifactorial sorts of things that uh, you can you can get keep the company running or at least get it back up and running as quickly as possible uh, and you know have those contingency plans on who deals with the incident itself, then that kind of parlays over to uh, you know when you know when's it transitioned back over to the business and how they're functioning and you know for me I know from the standpoint we may have things well you know well documented or prepared but nobody really wants to most of the time they want me to handle it until things get really calm before anybody wants to like pick up the reins and run but and that's okay I expect it so you know we uh, but but I think getting more crisp on those sorts of things where you where you're transitioning from what happens you know when it happens to how it's dealt with, and making that applicable applicable like say to a multi-dimensional sort of risk, and and not necessarily needing to look up something that uh, uh, you know space shuttle falling out of the sky. You know you you look for that chapter and you're never going to find it. So I think you just have to find something that uh, you know that, that that's more of an all-hazard risk and how you you know evolve from that and or how you prepare for that. Execute it for that and then move on from it, if that helps.
4: But I think too is is we're not look at, I mean we're not looking at we're assuming making a lot of assumptions. So if I was a bad guy and, and more and more, I would just, you know, cut off this. You know, people are gonna be if you can't communicate, I mean how many people have a landline? How many people have landline access? How many people can communicate if cell towers are down or or your internet is down, or can you do business? You know, there's so much technology. Um, you know, you, you we have to think outside the box and think of how many people really thought that somebody would fly an airplane into a building, right? I mean, I think somebody wrote about it in a book, so somebody was thinking about it. But I think we 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 get to uh, I don't know, casual about oh well, we can just do this and we'll just transport the. Like, hey, wait a minute, what if we can't do that? How are we going to survive? How are we going to um, keep our business alive without the technology piece of it?
2: Hmm. i a greater integration of incident management processes between facilities, security, and IT. I mean, nearly every event we have occur is going to fall into ownership of one of those three buckets. And if those three organizations operate in an incident capacity in a very unified manner, there's a whole lot of information that is shared very quickly. You can disseminate a very similar message, and have a you know very unified plan as how you're going to address it very quickly.
1: Great. Well, we are right at our mark. Um, oh, one more. Just one. Topic. Sure. You know, we talked about the next thing, and uh, you know we didn't spend a lot of time talking about weather-related like natural However, I think
3: that you know. With the Evidence uh, with global warming, and we're seeing increasingly uh, weather related impacts um, in areas where we never would have thought they occurred before. Uh, I think that would be the
0: next thing. And we, we always look out for hurricanes in Florida or on the coast, but there are weather related events that we have to be that people never would have imagined. And that is a growing concern uh, in terms of business continuity and Great
1: point. I agree.
0: Agreed. Okay. Thank- Am I on? I'm on. Hi. Thank in. you, everyone, for being here. Thank you, Steve, Steven, Tim, and Joanne. Um, your thoughts were interesting, thought provoking, maybe scary. Um, you take from it what you want, and we will see you. If you're going to golf next week, we'll see you at the Coronet Classic. Otherwise, we'll see you a month from now at uh, Social Differences in Real Estate. Thank you so much.